House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 4, King of the Narrow Sea. I am one of your hosts, Eliana. And I am another one of your hosts, Chloe. <sighs> King of the Narrow Sea, <laughs> welcome back to House of the Dragon, the hottest of D, the local podcast from us two girls, Eliana and Chloe, who are going canon all the time. Uh, spoilers for everything. Yes. Up top, spoilers for everything. We've had a comment or two this week of people asking if we were of people asking if we were spoiler free. Uh, we are not. We talk about all of George R. R. Martin's books, all of them. Sometimes we'll talk about TV shows we like too. Yes, um, and we are not discussing anything um, from any of the leaks because we haven't read them. But mm-hmm. after every now and then, people will tell me something that they saw in the leaks or whatever. Of the most recent episode. Does that make if that makes yeah. sense? So that's nothing that's gonna spoil you for the rest of like the way the TV show goes, because again, we don't know them, but we have read Fire and Blood. Chloe's I don't know how many times Chloe's. I just read finished it. it again. I just oh, finished what, what Fire and Blood this? in bed the other morning, hungover because I couldn't sleep at like four AM. This is I don't know, four, five, six, somewhere in that range, like in a handful range. Handful? Uh, yeah. yeah. And we are not holding back regarding talking about fire and blood. So please, if this is not something that you want to hear about, if you don't want to know the broad strokes of what is going to happen to any of these characters or these plot lines, please uh, log off, and we'll we'll see you again next time. Maybe come back to see us uh, when when things are done, or if you decide to read the books. But for us, it's important to be able to discuss the books in full for a our enjoyment, b in and in terms of our analysis that rests upon being able to discuss the story in whole. Yeah, I mean, Fire and Blood. I love Fire and Blood. I really do like it a lot. It was also, I mean, it just is such a good memory, you know, for the East Coast. <laughs> if you were a George R.R. R. Martin fan in 2018 on the East Coast, oh my God. you were there. You were outside in a huge fucking line on the way into the theater about to go get your signed copy of Fire and Blood and yeah. listen to George R.R. R. Martin. I mean, that was an experience. It was fun. And I can't forsake that. You know, oh, I, forsake. And forsaken. <laughs> the Forsaken. I cannot be the Forsaken here. And House of the Dragon, <laughs> King of the Narrow Sea. I mean, this episode, every episode, as we keep going forward, each of these yeah. episodes has been like little love letters to us. It's yeah. been so nice. And if you're not listening to Girls Gone Canon outside of Hot D, please come listen to us. We are doing... The Song of Ice and Fire series, chapter by chapter. However, we're doing it with a little twist. If you haven't listened, we are doing point of view character by point of view character. Yes, and um, by some like I don't know kind of twist of fate, we actually have sort of coincided the start of a new POV with the start of this new season. So if you're new to Girls Gone Canon, please check us out. We just started the brand chapters. I don't know, like two weeks ago. So this week, at the time of the release of this episode, we will be putting out Game of Thrones Brand 3 this coming Friday, September 16th. Yeah, it's... I love Brand, notably. I love my little Aegon 3 baby boy. The next chapter is intense. It is. We, uh, it's like the vision chapter. It's yeah. the... Like, I haven't even worked on the outline because it's straight up just the visions. Like, all we're doing is just talking about some trippy shit. It's going to be fun. And honestly, we kept joking it's going to be a stark contrast from the dragon show. But it's not, question mark? Like, there's so much prophecy and uh, not prophecy, but, you know, like tree visions and uh, the weirwood. I mean, the weirwood in this episode. All I could think about was Bran. And incest. And incest. Bran sees two twins fucking, like... 
It's absolutely the same. It's tied together. <laughs> Jamie and Cersei, Rhaenyra Damon. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're talking a bit about that this episode. Yeah. Um, the Patreon episode this month. Please, please come back. We're working on it. It's a. Uh, we have not prophesied that yet. Yeah, we're working on a prophecy for our Patreon episode of the month. And so over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, we have to shake our little tip jar at you real quick. You can come and get some perks, right? If you want to just throw a little money at us, a dollar a month, whatever, thank you. You're so kind. You do not have to do that. We love to do this. But we do love to give perks for our patrons, too. So for $5 and up, stranger tier and above patrons, you get a bonus episode every month. We assort a medley of episodes <laughs> over at our Patreon. And those episodes could be something on A Song of Ice and Fire. Sometimes they'll be on other books that we've read, in like like the Madeline Miller series. Uh, sometimes it'll be specially themed. Last month was Mothers of the Dragon or MILFs. Of the dragon, part more one. importantly. Yeah, more importantly. Part one. <laughs> part one. <laughs> you might get part two this month. We haven't quite gotten to figure out what we're going to talk about, but I know what it is. It'll be talked about. Like, <laughs> in will, full. It will be discussed. Oh and, of course, something else that you can get access to on our Patreon, again, shaking the tip jar, is our monthly brunch. Patrons in the Thunder tier and above, $10 and above, get access to our Discord where there's fun, there's activities, there's a discussion, including, I don't know, just hanging out. And our this month's brunch is going to be this coming Sunday, September 18th, from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. But we also have weekly, weekly voice discussions as well. Yeah, our friend Maddie is hosting a weekly discussion for Hot D on Fridays at 2 p.m. ET. It's about like an hour and a half, two hours long. She does an amazing little slideshow, some quips. She's pretty funny, that Maddie, but she does some quips. And yeah, it's all about the banter. Everybody just chit-chats. You don't have to be on video, but if you want to come be on video, you can. Handful of people get together to talk about the show. And we've had that with other things, right? We'll probably return to that for His Dark Materials as well in the future Mm -hmm. for Series 3, which we'll cover. But we also have, I mean, a couple of our patrons are cooking some other things up. They're doing this with another series. I can't tell you yet because we don't have a date on it. But there is another series in the works that's a beloved TV series. I can't wait to talk about it. I I actually don't know which one you're talking about because it could be any of them. It really could, honestly. Our patrons are so creative. They, uh, I think they just started Desperate Housewives. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm so proud because I didn't even do this. They did it. So I look forward to our brunch Sunday, the 18th at two to four, and of course our weekly. I love it. Our weekly hot D discussions, hot discussions. It is so fun. Can't wait for this week's on the king. Well, on king. Of the narrow sea. Yeah, um, there's a couple of things, you know, let's talk about some of the meta of this episode, uh, including Fire and Blood, but also in regards to how this episode was created. So the director for this episode is in fact a woman, it's Claire Kilner, and it shows. Yeah, it shows. As um, <laughs> as this Twitter user said, um, this is Vasilisa or Vasilisanka um, is the at if you want to find them on Twitter. Says, I could tell that this episode of House of the Dragon was directed by a woman because sex scenes were actually good. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. When I have sex as a woman podcaster, <laughs> when I have sex as a woman, um, I don't always just like, I don't know, it's like not always a straightforward clit fat let's fuck. It's not like, I don't know, there's not like one emotion, right? Yeah. Like when I have sex, there are many emotions. And I felt that in this episode. 
I mean, you have the raunchiness of Damon to the tenderness of of the Kristen coupling. Like, that was tender. It was very interesting. Yeah. And a lot of, oh my God, a lot of themes. There were a lot of themes. And we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll discuss it in a second, right? I was gripped. I mean, well, I mean before we go into it, like, oh in my this. God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yo, this whole episode. Yeah. Eliana is in my city for House of the Dragon for the first few episodes and, you know, like, other life events. But, like, she's here for a handful of episodes and we have been watching it together, which is so romantic. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but me and her, opposite ends of the couch last night, just were... Staring like, oh my god, it's so, oh my god. It's so, and we're like, everyone, shut up. Shut up. We're Theories watching are, with, like, two unsullied, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Two people who have never read fire and blood and don't know the general gist of the story they they know of a song of ice and fire and they're somewhat blooded into the world though to be fair like they're very into the world like one of them is my partner right and he's read all five of the main books and duncan egg yeah he's pretty like he gets it he's in and the other your partner's best friend your partner's partner he he also is very into it though he he knows the lore he was actually during the episode calling out things that mean you were like oh shit good call let me write that down that's a good question what were they i don't don't remember but they were like good reactions Active, like yeah, made yeah, you yeah, think yeah, kind of yeah. moments yeah. or made you think about the lore so it really makes you think it really keeps you sharp yeah these two gentlemen and last night it was hard though because me and you were on the couch and this is a momentous episode i think for book readers right like for those of us who have always oh, gone yeah. will they won't they did they didn't what they like happened? who fucked who a lot of people online were like who will damon fuck and i was like who will rhaenyra fuck that's who i care about yeah. who who gets damon the fucks everyone apparently <laughs> yeah damon <laughs> Yeah, Damon fucks what he wants. But who gets the rose, you know? And we found... What? Oh, my God. The way that it all played out, a little unexpected, but also, you know, very interesting, very interesting. So at this point, right, of... The book. The book. The timeline. Um... You know, by next episode, we'll probably see Rhaenyra take the seat as Lady of Dragonstone is something we can anticipate. She's aged up two years in this series, then around, like, when all of these things went down in the book... Which, you know, we, we already know that she's aged up. But let's talk about some of the people, like, uh, the suitors, right, that uh, Rhaenyra entertained. So Rhaenyra actually visits the Trident in 112. And that's when a bunch of stuff happens, though. This, this scene, where is this? Is this Storm's End? I think Storm's End is where we start the episode, which was... Because Boromund, Boromund is yeah. there. Yeah, which also makes sense, right? Because they are loosely... Twice through their family tree, they are related, both mm-hmm. through um, if Ori's Baratheon. I mean, is they're cousins. Fact, yeah, if, if Ori's Baratheon is in fact um, a bastard brother of Aegon, and slash or and and, and also through the marriage of mm-hmm. Aemon Targaryen to Jocelyn Baratheon. Baratheon. Yeah. So we have the sons of Lord and Lord Black. The sons of Lord Bracken and Lord Blackwood fought a duel over Rhaenyra, which we saw adapted, which is fun. There's also apparently supposed to be a younger son of House Frey who asked for her hand and is called Fool Frey. Then in the West, um, Sir Jason and Sir Tylan apparently vie for her during a feast at Casterly Rock. We don't get that exactly. We see Jason. I think we're going to get some of that in the next episode. Oh, how exciting. We're going to, you have to stay to the end because the trailer, broken down, I like to watch the trailer at half speed. No one else does, which is smart because it gives away everything. Like, everything. Like, the whole episode, I know what's happening next episode just from the trailer. Yeah. But I think we're going to see this adapted to her wedding. And we get... 
Lord Tolia Riverrun's sons, Lord Tyrell of Highgarden, Lord Oakheart of Old Oak. They weren't in the episode, not yet. Tarly of Horn Hill, and of course, the Hand's eldest son, Sir Harwin Strong, visits At her. At time, yeah. So, yeah. so the as you can see, the timelines are a little screwy too, mm-hmm. and a little different, right? By, because by this time, when Rainier is entertaining suitors in fire and blood, Otto's already been mm-hmm. deposed. Yeah, it, it's a very interesting how they're playing with the timeline, yeah. and it works. I'm watching. Story. We're watching Rings of Power, right? So yeah. that's fun because we don't care about Lord of the Rings. And I'm sorry if you're learning this for the first time. I don't mean it in a mean way. It's just it didn't happen for us, and I'm trying now. You, I married into it. I I married into the Lords of the Rings mm-hmm. with a ring. Actually, it was oh. really actually poetic when you think about it. But wow. I've married into Ring Lord, and you. You know, you just have to watch it casually. And so we're I'm watching Rings of Power. Lord too, three yeah, years. yeah, exactly. We're married, sister wives, but uh, to only each other. And it's weird because, like, because I don't, I mean, this timeline's nothing. Like, knowing what they're doing with Rings of Power, no spoilers for those of you not watching yet or you want to, but, like, there is timeline changes, and it's very adaptive because of the, the content they are allowed to adapt mm-hmm. is the biggest part, which... This is what gets me. This is what really tickles me. Gets my gears. Understanding, like, what you're allowed to adapt, blah, 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 like, that kind of, legally. All the legal bounds of production and how it, like, the meta behind how that affects your production. Because we've learned, not necessarily with that, but with Game of Thrones, you know, they had to adapt in certain ways. Some of it was production-based. Some of it was book material and source material-based. So I find that really interesting, just the the who, what, and when. But this timeline is nothing. 30 years is nothing compared to, like, the thousands of years they're fucking around with in Rings of Power, right? Like, this is just like, yeah, whatever. And I think all of it's done for a good, adaptive, and cohesive storytelling reason. Because, A, I mean, we have the the age up, right, for Alicent and Rhaenyra to even them out, age up, age down. Like, that works great in my opinion yeah and i think what's most important is the changes that they've made are in order to serve a character driven story you're getting a story that has a lot of strong themes a lot of strong character arcs and Mm -hmm. the decisions that people make uh, make sense for their character they might not make sense in terms of you're like wow that was super illogical but it it works in the context of people being flawed and Mm -hmm. also and i think that's that's ultimately what George is interested in exploring. That's always what he's all been interested in exploring, that human heart in conflict with itself. And he, to, to, to again cap all that, he's quite pleased with this adaptation mm-hmm. And thus far. Not to be like that, but like, I mean, that's also why we cover it the way we do the story, yeah. because we like the characters. And I think David and Dan struggled in Game of Thrones with they adapted to an event basis. Yeah. David and Dan adapted events and built around the events where... Ryan Condal and his great team are adapting characters and they are putting the characters into a story that already exists, to be fair. So, and they get to take their own adaptive choices with that. And I really love the way they're going so far. Like this episode, look, season five Game of Thrones, Chloe would be sitting here with you going, how could they do this? Kristen and Rhaenyra. But I watched this last night with you and I was like gleeful. I was like a child on Christmas just to be like, this is what their adaptation, their their take on the story is that's so cool yeah that's cool because none of it matters to give them also also to give a bit of credit i guess to to what happens in the original show and how that's done is uh 
they have more leeway. They do mm-hmm. have more leeway with the way that Fire and Blood is written because it is wishy-washy. There's no like one straight account of how everything goes, right? And that mm-hmm. gives them the ability to do that. But again, like as you said, they are not writing around events, they're writing around characters. We don't get by this point in Fire and Blood, a few pages before like some of these quotes that we pulled out, the the a feast of the greens and the black stress would have already happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, Damon more or less kind of seems to appear in the middle of that feast, not dressed according to anybody's themes, and then pledged to Viserys. And that's because they want the feast to have em- emotional weight. They wanted to have gravitas within the context of the story so they are building up to that they've moved it so that it it pays off yeah and i think that's also condensing the timeline is smart in this happenstance like in this happenstance (laughs) like in the trailer we're going to talk about at the end there's some stuff that definitely is all happening at once because i feel like every week i'm sitting here with you and i'm like damn they covered so much without covering all of it you know what i mean like they're cutting out a lot of the bloat they're choose it's weird because you'd expect you only get these bullet points in the story in the book and then they're somehow expanding but also cutting as they go and i think it's really good they're choosing what's important and cohesive to them and there's stuff that like we'll talk about the daemon in the weirwood scene today and like that scene is so gorgeous and i think it was so well done and cohesive in valyrian and while it might not be direct word for word from the source material, you get the same feeling, right? Like there's that great passage from Fire and Blood. Princess Rhaenyra was a different matter. Damon spent long hours in her company, enthralling her with tales of his journeys and battles. He gave her pearls and silks and books and a jade tiara, said once to have belonged to the Empress of Lang, read poems to her, dined with her, hawked with her, sailed with her, entertained her by making mock of the greens at court, the lickspittles fawning over Alicent and her children. And they go on to say that he praises her beauty and they would race on their dragons. They understood each other in just ways that no one else could understand. And while, no, we're not getting that right now, we might later get it, right? Like, we might have a little time for fun of them courting, falling in love, their wedding, and and probably episode, what, seven or eight. But I I would guess seven. I mean, it has to happen by seven. Yeah, uh, or this is it, right? Yeah. And they're just condensing it all into all of this. But you can feel this but, but still, exactly, I think. Exactly, yeah. You get the... It's evoked. Last night, I spent some time reading a passage or two to your, your <laughs> partner. Uh, it was very sweet. Explaining the, how Fire and Blood is written. Listen, I just want you to know that, like, Lena, Laner, Damon, Rhaenyra, their children, they all had this beautiful gay weird polycule and i'm open to that in my life aliana i think that's what i feel you know not unlike reyna and Alyssa farman anyways and area who they're erasing from the show erasing what an error i know right (laughs) i read out to your partner uh the diverging sources right grandmaster runciter's take on what happened that prince damon left king's landing and returned to the stepstones after they fought nothing to be said ever again uh, and then, of course, Allison urged Viserys, send him away, is the other take. But then Septon, Eustace, and Mushroom have two very different tales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Eustace gives the less salacious tale and says that Damon seduced 
his niece and then claims her maidenhood and then that Arik Cargyle, the King's Guard, whom we uh, we have not been introduced to the twins yet, um, or di- discovered them, brings them before the king, and Rhaenyra says she's in love with her uncle and is like, please let me marry him. And Viserys would not hear of it and reminds his daughter that, uh, you know, Damon already has a wife, then sends his daughter to her bedrooms and sends his brother away commands them to never speak of what had happened. And then the next one is, of course, Mushroom. Mushroom is a slutty McSlut slut. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's canon. We love him. He's my favorite slutty McSlut slut besides, Mm -hmm. like, myself. Uh, But he says Kristen Cole is who Rhaenyra wanted to give the rose to. But Kristen was true and chaste, a true knight. And though he was always with her, he had never kissed her nor declared his love. And Damon tells Rhaenyra... He looks at you, and he sees you as the littlest princess, but I can make you look like the real queen in his eyes. And so Damon gives her kissing lessons, and then shows her how to touch a man and bring him pleasure. And of course, I do have to say, Mushroom was like, it involved himself and his huge member. Good for you, Mushroom. Uh, And then Damon taught her how to be sexy, and suckled at her nipples, and all this sexy stuff, and they'd go dragging back to fucking Blackwater Bay, and he'd take her down to the street of silk to the brothels uh i love that they caught a diverging line through this mm-hmm. right like they straight up caught through that line and just show like one night of ecstasy out in the streets and rhaenyra mm-hmm. learning she's alive and give give the girl to meet a wife damon says in the book to his brother who would take her now but then he gets sent into exile um i don't know he comes back but <laughs> he comes back He's just like the series is infections. Oh my gosh. They just come back. Yep. Absolutely. Well, then the episodes, you know, actually starts. Yeah, it I starts. Mean. Well, first we get the intro sequence, then it starts with the Storms End Cattle Show. Um, and it starts with Lord Dondarian, who apparently long ago, decades ago, as Rainier calls out, complimented her, her grandmother, Alisanne's beauty. And therefore mocks his age, and and you know she she kind of mocks a couple of the suitors and Lord Borman talks about how like this is not great, and apparently this this Blackwood who shows up we don't get a first name, we thought it was Benjacott. Then we were realistic with our timelines, and we're well, like, wait, it, no, that's not Benjacott. It couldn't be right because yeah. Benjacott has to be much younger than Rhaenyra, like at least probably like half her age or something, um, because I think that's a core element. His immaturity, right? Like his his extreme prodigy as a military commander, but also his immaturity. And anyway, so the leaks apparently had named him as Willem, but I don't think I saw it. Oh, yeah. I guess it's not Lord Samwell. It's Willem. That's weird. So maybe Samwell exists as a cousin or a brother or an uncle. Who knows? Or he's dead. Yeah, shit happens. As long as we get Bloody Ben. I think we will. I think we will. He's just like probably, I don't know. Too young. Like, yeah, too babby. young. Or not born yet. Yeah, he's Which is barely possible. born. It's possible he's not born yet. I think we have time jumps still to come, so fingers crossed for Bloody Ben. Maybe season two. The costuming was very bold and very apparent, so it showed you what their sigils were, the red with the black of the, the raven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that feels really significant. Like, one thing I'm really appreciating is the costuming world building. They're really using color and sigils because they have to. They have a lot of characters that they need to introduce in an outside way that the the mind will recognize and go, yeah. wait a second. We saw that guy last season. Or no, we saw his brother. No, we saw his cousin. Like the normal person will go, yo, that's so-and-so. That must be his brother. 
Yeah. It might not make sense, but they still will do it. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's that's enough, right? That works. Mm-hmm. And also, they do call it out, right? They're like, that's Lord Blackwood. And talk about um, their their deep ties to the blood of the first men. Mm-hmm. And um, a little chilling, right? If you're watching this show as like a newer comer to it and like you're you're like, okay, Blackwoods, what are they about? What are they about? And you're watching it and you're like, damn, these guys are serious. They're about prophecy because the way that the episode ends is on prophecy. Yeah, it does. It does. And also, um, speaking of prophecies and leaks, this is neither of those, but I will say that apparently regarding this episode and since we are talking about leaks a little, um, our friend Zainab uh, got to watch the premiere of the episode a week or so, a little bit before all the rest of us did, um, at a mm-hmm. special viewing and showing where I believe Steve Toussaint was attending and also saw a trailer for for the season and has had to hold in, knowing about oh, yes. Kristen Cole for weeks, knowing that Rhaenyra and Kristen wow. Cole's smash for weeks. Being it was in the talk. trailer. Yeah, and it was apparently a different scene that they did not put in this episode. Um, that they showed and like cut. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I mean, I, that makes sense, right? You gotta have a lot of B-roll. You know, Rhaenyra in in this scene. I mean, it's bullshit, right? Like, it's utter bullshit. And it's interesting because this comes when they're in the Godswood leader with Alicent. This becomes really important, what she went through in this Mm -hmm. scene and what she put up with. But also that she was able to get up with a little bit of sass and attitude, which I love her for. Okay, do not come at me. However, as the princess of the realm, the realm's delight, we know she doesn't like courtesies. We saw her Mm -hmm. when she had to choose the Kingsguard. She's like, I really don't want to small talk this shit to death. Um, Her attitude's not great. And she literally walks out as the Blackwood kid is stabbing the fuck out of the Bracken. Very because exciting. Ryan Condal loves us. Like, he wants us to have good things. And that's why he gave us Brackens versus Blackwoods. Yeah. No other adaptation of A Song of Ice and Fire has done that yet. So That's true. That's true. And also, I mean, that is, as we saw, right? Cited in Fire and Blood. Mm-hmm. I do kind of wonder, like, is the scene portrayed that way? Because had Rhaenyra had more of a handle on that scene and been more uh, a stronger ruler I, I, that duel should have never happened mm-hmm. right that's literally you have to appease men as a princess of the realm and as a woman like it's one thing to have to appease people and say yes my lord thank you for coming yeah. i appreciate your yo- your loyalty when you're the princess of the realm it's different you have to smile you have to dote you have to say thank you so much my lord you're so smart and stronger than the other guy behind you that i'm also gonna say is stronger than the other guy behind him and i'm also gonna say he's stronger than the guy behind him and that's absolutely like what she had to do with all those i guess kingsguard right like Otto wanted and and this is how the king's guard are kind of played during robert baratheon's time right it's it's done for a political arrangement as opposed to like the best knights or whatever mm-hmm. absolutely like she's not performing she's not doing the pageantry of everything and that's the focus of this episode that's a big theme throughout this episode and in episode three second of his name a lot of people discuss the missed opportunity of rainier and not joining that ladies court in regards to that soft power getting information about the politicking and winning people's affection uh and and as you said right showing courtesy and you know this this scene is the counterpart to that but again it's a little bit different because as you're saying right it's different how you perform for men when they're asking for your affection in in our own lives in our real lives you have to be careful about that when someone when men are 
vying for your attention, even if it's unwanted, because you have to be careful in how you turn people down because they might retaliate with violence. That is, that's that's just the reality, like literally walking down the street. And it's not even just for us at that point. Like for Rhaenyra, you see she had to be nicer so they don't kill each other? Question mark? Like that's that's a lot to put on a person. It's a lot, right? And so as you're saying, right, you kind of have to stroke their pride as you turn them down. You have to play nice. You have to smile or whatever. Stop giving my secrets away on this podcast. I'm sorry. All the men that listen to this podcast have found me out, Eliana. Oh my God. And especially, you know, especially in public again, so that they don't try to get back at you later. And so I think there's layers to what's happening here with Rhaenyra's political performance, right? She's not performing her role of like entertaining them as suitors, right? And also there's the aspect of power when the whole thing of her being heir, which is just like threatens, you know, threatens the laws of gods and men, especially because she's a girl slash young woman. She's in she has to placate them that much more. Yeah, and she's humiliating them right now. And they hate they do not like that she wields power over them and therefore Yeah. That will come back around, right? Like and that's not necessarily like she should do the politicking and please the lords and the ladies, but at the same time... Because it's for more than her, right? Like, it's yeah. one thing if I get annoyed because some dude is, like, reply-guying me all the time. Like, that's one thing. Because yeah. I'm not a fucking princess of the realm in charge of a bunch of people's lives, and I don't hope to rule people yeah. because I can't even rule myself, motherfuckers. We definitely see some other aspects in this episode that we'll come back to where Rhaenyra is straight up, like, how could she? She never learned. Like, yeah, she doesn't absolutely. have great role models right now left to her. It's Damon and Viserys. It's a fine, difficult line to tread, right? How do you raise someone up, right? And do that political placating as not just like as like, you can do it as a king, right? But it's a difficult line to tread as a woman because how do you show them, A, yes, of course you have power. You're a wonderful suitor, etc. And please them with that. But also tread it as like, you can't give them too much power because you also have to reestablish that you are going to be the queen the and you will have the higher claim and everything within this alliance. So it's you can't girl hard. boss without being gaslit oh yourself. God. Okay. <sighs> because of the gatekeeping, Eliana. Oh you can't gosh. girl boss without being gaslit because of the gatekeeping. Absolutely. The gatekeeping. Well, Rainier's getting the fuck out of that gate, right? She ghosts on this entire ceremony. Realize, realize, oh realize. <laughs> So Rhaenyra does ghost. She gets on a ship. Yeah, that ship also, you know, gets rocked by her uncle's dragon, Craxies, and then she's protected slash cared for by Kristen. I get it. It's a metaphor for the rest of the episode. Damon comes in and rocks the boat that is her sexual awakening in the alleyway. Absolutely. And then that scene, right, is also like, it's that that internet meme with the guy looking over his shoulder at the other woman. That's uh, Kristen Cole in the back being like, Rhaenyra, are you okay? And Rhaenyra looking over the shoulder at Damon's dragon as it flies away. Yeah, it's totally the looking back meme for sure. Mm. Speaking of looking back, we're back at King's Landing. Briefly, yeah, there's a little counseling happening here. There's two kings, one crown, and then all of a sudden, Damon comes with his crown. Yeah, it's a, it's actually it's like ugly. a... It, it's a beautifully shot scene, though, like with oh, yeah. uh, Viserys' head ringed by the window and... It's, Damon kneeling. It's interesting because yeah. this happens at the tourney, right? In the books, there's a tourney. He shows up at the tourney and kneels. So it's a big, like, even bigger. But this is fine. Like, there's a lot of remixing going on with these kind of scenes, and I love mm-hmm. it. And the lighting is gorgeous. 
the prodigal brothers returned, and Corlys is not there, which is notable, and that part of court is notably not there. They're back at the Stepstones, but really, I'm glad they knocked this out at the front, because they had a lot of story to tell in between. Yeah, and and it sets it up for how everything else plays out later on, but over at another House of the Dragon party- Oh no. House party. Oh my god. The series is smashed. Yeah, he's getting drunk, but it's like- it's sad in a good way. I'm like, Dad, drink yeah. some water. Um, he's telling Damon, he's like, you were always mom's favorite, their mother, Alyssa, which is kind of funny because she's so wild and fierce that it makes sense for him to say, ah, you were mom's favorite. She liked you because Damon is Alyssa stuck yeah. in a different body. Yeah, I could see that for yeah. sure, for sure. And that says a lot about their relationship, right? Like, famously, Eliana and I have no siblings but one another. That is why we are sisters, but also wives. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Isn't that what siblings... Is it that must what, be. I think that's what siblings are they, like. I think that's what they're like. Yes. But this is showing that's what siblings are like. They love each uh, other. Yeah. They hate each other. But they yeah. love each other. It's, Absolutely. And there's that jealousy, that pang of jealousy of, like, one sibling. I mean, I'm watching a lot of Frasier lately. So, like, Frasier mm. and Niles, you know, one sibling that has something the other sibling will never have. And how that affects their dynamic familially. And, Yeah. Yeah. Also, Allison has a new dress. I love her new dress because it's very much assimilating to look like a Targaryen, but also she's not quite able to, right? Like, the style is just different. The colors are just off. They don't match. Uh, She also has a gold-embroidered two-headed dragon on the front, which I love because if you take a look at some of the show costuming from Game of Thrones, uh, you had Rob, Bran... And Sansa did a lot of the two wolf styling and John mm-hmm. too, but the especially for Sansa, it's very thematic in that it really reminds you of like the two kingdoms and also yeah. her being the second born and just yeah. that thematic happening there. So Alicent, of course, has that thematic with the two dragons. The two gold headed dragon is Aegon the second. Well also and in episode three at the feast for the Conqueror Babe, mm-hmm. they had the two headed pig. Ah, oh, that's true. I think that was actually for two egg two. <laughs> egg and two, it also works Google. for Helena, right? Mm, because Helena yeah. is just born. Babby has been born. Mm-hmm. Babby has been made. Cute ass little girl. I love her. But she she's the second, you know, the second head of the dragon so far. Mm-hmm. And the third cometh. Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. Damon in reverse. Uh, there's also something happening here with something really important to me, which is the necklaces. Rhaenyra has on her Valyrian mm. steel Uncle Damon necklace, right? Yeah. Where Alicent is wearing one that has a red gem in the center, and it's gold again. It's really pretty. It is very pretty, but it's totally knockoff Rhaenyra. Yeah. And I mean, Rhaenyra also goes back to some of her other jewelry later this episode. Um, Rhaenyra was kind of made to look more feminine. In these mm. episodes, um, and there's also a lot of neutral colors playing when it comes to her boy garb later that we'll talk about. But but she's been, like, removed color while Alicent is gaining the reds of House Targaryen. Rhaenyra, in the same way that she feels that her claim is threatened in some aspects, she is also being, like, made to look more feminine. She is wearing very peachy tones, a little more pink hues. And softer tones, which really show that, like we were saying, that made to make yourself just slightly smaller for the whims of others and egos of others. Kind of, yeah, more girlish too, right? Absolutely. And um, younger as well. 
and nubile i mean yeah that that does seem to be like what they might be but also as you were saying the fem it it also helps with the contrast of the Mm -hmm. of the dress late not dress but the clothes later on (laughs) yes absolutely okay this is also a food podcast food oh my god there was some good food at this party Mm -hmm. lemony lemony lemon cakes that caught my eye the very it it looks just like the game of thrones lemon cakes exactly like them with the lemon on top so they did want to keep their world building consistent i love that and i actually love the next scene because she goes to talk to her uncle first time in four years Mm -hmm. so good chat good catching up she's grown since then you know yeah there's this scene where allison kind of tries to cut some of the awkwardness a little or is like oh you know it could be a good idea for Viserys to take his brother Damon to go see the new tapestries from Norvos and Kohor which I was very excited about I was like they acknowledge Norvos and Kohor the free cities and also Viserys then laughs at that idea he's like nobody wants to see that or that's the implication but Rhaenyra does seem to like the idea and says that you know I like it and I'll go see it but no one wants to join and she's like fine I'll go look at it alone and goes to sit and Allison joins her in sitting over in this like plush chair that they brought out for the party and I I liked this scene because it kind of shows that the two girls still kind of have some of those same like bookish interests right even if they're not talking about it they started out with like these same interests. Rhaenyra saves face for her and is like well I think tapestries are cool so maybe you don't father and uncle but I'll go see them but she also still snubs her right she's like yeah I'll do it alone without any of you three. And so that's definitely a hit. Uh, but at the same time, she sees her father being mean to Allison. Like, that was cruel in a way. Like, that was a, yeah. a cut at her, like, oh, you fucking nerd. Of course you love the tapestries. Oh, you know, women and their tapestries to Damon. First of all, Rhaenyra, no wonder she doesn't like courtesy. That was a rude ass fucking yeah. thing for your king to say for the woman that fucks you with your bare ass scabs out. Mm-hmm. I'd be a little nicer to her, maybe. And she's very kind. She washes his sores for him later. Like, Okay, Viserys, maybe just be a little nicer. There's also something in Viserys having Damon back that makes him a little fiery, a little bolder, a little confident. And it reminds me of Aegon III getting his Viserys back, right? Because he's said to kind of, even though he's like 12, so it's okay. But like, even though he's a kid, yeah, he's traumatized and a kid, which not to say Viserys isn't traumatized and obviously living out his fucking 14s again, but (laughs) from his marriage. Uh, But ignoring Daenerys, right? Like, they're totally, they ignore Daenerys, and it, it said, like, obviously they're just so happy to be together, but that they don't realize the pains that they kind of inflict on those around them. Yeah, I, Viserys is the ultimate, I think, embodiment of does not realize pains he is inflicting on other people. Anyway, then we have this beautiful little moment where, you know, Alicent and Rhaenyra have what seems almost like healing, right? Like, and it's been quite some time, right? They've had time to get used to everything. And we saw that there is still a bit of care between them in the previous episode. And they talk about marriage and marriage prospects. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, it, it seems like a normal teenage talk except for the part where, you know, people are actually getting married and having babies. But then, you know, Rhaenyra makes a faux pas of like, I just don't want to be stuck at home. Just... Fucking babies only, out. Yeah, <laughs> popping out babies. And Allison kind of looks down like, uh. It's not well, that bad. Well, she, it is, right? Yeah. But she's like a little ashamed about it because that's like what her lot in life has become. And and it sucks because she's disclosing that no one sees her anymore as a person, but just as the queen. And they're discussing their personhood mm-hmm. in this. But it's okay. Allison kind of made, I think, a faux pas last time in the carriage. And she's like, 
oh, it's not that bad, Gimme. It's not that bad. Or What's the worst that could happen? Having babies? And then she's like, oh, shit. Your mom, right. <laughs> My bad. That woman that used to fuck the guy I'm fucking. Whoops. Uh, anyway, but... Allison kind of defends herself in a very small way, a subtle way, where she kind of says, like, not all of us get to have adventurous dudes killing each other in battle in front of us for our hand. Like, maybe that is something special to have that magic. All I have is Viserys laying on top of me, pumping in me while I just stare at the ceiling and hope it ends soon. And we see this played out through the episode for both girls of, like, what their options are and aren't. This is a discussion about personhood, whether or not it's said explicitly, right? Rhaenyra isn't there just for... Everyone knows she's not just there for popping out babies. Her Mm -hmm. claim is important. Her claim does have worth, as does the potential of dragons. There's martial power there. There's the crown. Whereas for Alicent, I mean, she doesn't bring that to the table, but she does bring fertility, as we see. I mean, this episode in general, with the talk that's to come with Daemon at the godswood, and then when they sit, it's kind of like... Not just a, This episode's not just a sexual awakening for Rhaenyra, but it's also obvious why sexual awakenings in literature and media are always painted this way, right? As an awakening to life, because they are. It's like showing you yeah. there's another way you can feel, whether that's in your body, out of your body. We see it when Targaryens dragon ride, right? Like that's an yeah. out-of-body experience just as much as it's an on-body experience. Whoa. Whoa. It's very beautiful and poetic, and like it's a great way to pair... Rhaenyra learning that there is life outside these walls, and why should she give that away? Yeah, absolutely. When you can fight for life. Yeah. When you don't have the White Walkers as something necessarily uh. to angle against your story, you know? Like, yeah. Game of Thrones had it easy. They were able to be like, look, zombies are coming. Life is good. We should all fuck. And this show is like, we're rich. We should all fuck. So it's good to have these moments that bring you back to Earth, and you're like, ah, there's reasons to fuck after all besides being rich in this story. Yeah, it's just, like, fun. People can just enjoy it, mm-hmm. right? And then you also, um, you are talking earlier about the people, the fighting and the duels of people fighting over you and how that's romantic and get a little aspect of, you know, this idea of the chivalric romance, people fighting over a woman's honor and things like that, or for her honor, etc. So, nice ties in. Let's talk about the godswood. Let's come back a little to Damon. Yo, that shot was gorgeous. That was cinema. That was cinematic. It was so... I, I That shot of the leaves rustling just out of focus and his yeah. head tipped up, the light spilling down. It was gorgeous and... Big shoujo breeze. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And someday, <sighs> Bloodraven and Bran will watch this exact moment in a cave in Game of Thrones Season 4, and we won't know wow. about it, but it'll happen. <laughs> we won't know about it. For those of you that are Matt Smith fans, if you watch Doctor Who Series 5 and 6 and 7.5, uh, or 7A, I guess, depending on how you oh want to name God. it, listen, Eliana, but Matt Smith's wig is doing a total Matt Smith wig thing. The bang being flipped out at that moment. It was so funny. It just has this total, like, this is just the doctor if he bleached his hair. That Hysterical. is yeah. That is, yeah, exactly. You've seen the photos. But nonetheless, it was still gorgeous. Like, it was, it made me audibly gasp just because I loved it. And, I mean, a lot of people are like, why is there a weirwood? There could have been one. Who the fuck knows? George isn't specific, so they can play with it. But, like, also... Who cares? Because it's giving gorgeous scenes. Like, I don't even care anymore. I love it. It's fun. I do love the theory that our friend Yogi has put forward over at our Discord that Agen 2 is going to cut it down, probably, when the North betrays him. He's going to be like, fuck the Northerners. It's good to give him, like, a little bit of a personality, because otherwise he's just like, meh. 
Yeah. I like him being evil. I mean, who knows? You know, he's just a baby right now. Babies yeah. don't know personality. Well, I've heard that some do, but I really don't know. The coin is still flipping, Eliana. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. They're, they're all squishy. Rhaenyra wonders why Damon has returned, but they have this conversation in Valyrian. And then Rhaenyra complains about this whole thing and being sold off. And has to remind her uncle that, uh, yeah, I guess for you, marriage is only like political. For men, marriage is just a political arrangement, whereas for women, it is a death sentence. And reminds him again that, and everyone, that her mother was forced to keep popping out babies until it killed her. And then there's these wonderful lines that I think, you know, they really tie in well with the rest of what will happen with her story and, and are really sad because of that, where... Damon tells her, you cannot live your life in fear or you will forsake the best parts of it. She says, I have no desire to live in fear, only solitude. Um, except the first part was in, I'm pretty sure, Valyrian, and as was the first part of the second sentence, but I don't speak Valyrian. That's okay. It's okay. I'm proud of you for speaking what you can, even if it's not Valyrian. I can Fake speak fan. quite a few languages. But not Valyrian. Uh, yeah, not Valyrian. I can't either. It's okay. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's true. If you want to hear people speak Valyrian on their podcast, please go check out the Learned Hands podcast, where our friend Mary is learning and um, has been doing, you know, both Clint and Mary doing fantastic analysis of the series. So, yes, check them out. Some of the best. I love this because of the obvious. I have no desire to live in fear. Only Mm. solitude. I mean, that's what she becomes, a fortress of herself eventually. Trusting no one, pushing everyone away. And her saying, like last night when she said the words, I have no desire to live in fear, I was like jaw open. I was like, yo, because I was so sad. Because flash forward to her sons dying one by one until it's just her and Aegon's by her side. And she thinks Viserys is long gone and all the betrayals one by one watching from the window, that same window watching out at the dragon pit, probably from where Alisanne is holding Helena right now, watching the dragon pit, watching as people mob their way there, destroy the dragons, and then her having to run, having to sell her crown Mm -hmm. in Essos. (sighs) And as you said, right, like watching as the dragon pit dragon pit is like torn down because she she tries to keep her sons closer, she tries to keep her children closer as as they start dying, because at that point she's she has something to fear for, right? She doesn't want solitude. She she wants love, which is understandable. That's such a big part of all mm-hmm. of these books and not wanting to live in fear. And she, as you said, lives in fear of that betrayal and betrayal from Damon, mm-hmm. right? That's a big part on which the story turns. And it's interesting to say that she doesn't want to live in fear and that warning about it because that does tie in with Mizaria. Damon, in this episode, starts that fear. He's always leaving her. That's true. No one's here for her. Yeah, no wonder she has like... She's abandonment issues. Insecure attachment style, absolutely. She has a fucking abandonment issues and trauma from her fucking, you know, mom dying from being bred. And And her dad marrying her best friend. And her best friend having to switch her allegiances to her dad. I mean, every time Damon takes off on his dragon and she has just been stuck there. Mm -hmm. And then this, this episode, he leaves her. Yeah, that that had to be as exciting and exhilarating as it all was, and then just all of a sudden high and dry. It's just sad because I am coming at this very impartially this season because I'm loving the complexity they're bestowing on everyone, but I'm really loving what they did with Rhaenyra in this episode. Yeah, because she's flawed. She is kind of a bratty McBrat brat, and I love her to pieces because she's a fucking brat, a rich spoiled brat, but she's also like intensely complex. 
Yeah. A complex, rich, spoiled brat. My favorite kind. Watch Succession. Them too. Oh my god. But I mean, she might be all those things, but also uh, what she's doing just feels a lot like what a lot of teenagers do all the time. Yeah, it's a rebellion. Except, for, except for the part where it's with their uncle. Uh, yeah. That's the one thing that's different. That's the one thing that is that very... That does separate very, us yeah. from Yeah. As I a, too had a rebellion. Mikhail Sapochnik at the end of the episode, in the inside the episode, is talking about, he's like, yeah, uh, you know, this is abuse and we thought that this would be important to explore but we also like i don't know we just had to be like they're targaryens and kind of he doesn't say they gave up but that was kind of like i don't know they're targaryens so we just had to go with it it's complex it's very complex (laughs) miguel gets it it's complex just like the family tree that's not complex it's a circle it's It's a wreath a dream catcher so we hit a small council meeting and rhaenyra six years later has a seat amazing and tyland is now the master of ships because, you know, Corlys is not there. He's still a little salty. Hey! Sorry, I put that on huh? purpose. Um, oh my god. So as we as we see, I think Otto seems to have, like, some little birds, messengers, telling him intelligence. For example, like, this time it's about Corlys might be trying to wed Lena to the Sea Lord of Bravos. And I was like, oh my god, they mentioned the Sea Lord of Bravos. Sea Lord of Bravos. Next, you're going to tell me there's a lemon tree in his backyard. Fuck. Oh my God. If they do that. I mean, they showed us fucking lemons this episode. Anything can happen, anything Chloe. Can ha- it's anyone's Game of Thrones, Eliana. Oh this is great setup for Damon to then murder the Sea Lord of Bravos right in the next episode. Can't wait. I, it has to be next episode-ish, I'm guessing, or off screen. But Yeah, unless, I mean, what if all that was just made up or not even real, right? Like, because Otto's silly. Yeah. It was probably real. It was it's probably, probably real. We're going to see Driftmark more, I think, next episode a couple times, so it makes sense. In the royal bedchambers, baby Helena is crying and Alicent is struggling to soothe her in front of a giant window. Eliana, do you know why this might be sad? Because I would like to tell you why this might be sad. Um, I do, because you already told me. Well, it's because, <laughs> since you asked, I will tell you, Eliana. I know you please, really want me to tell you. Please tell me, Chloe. Should have led with it, that energy. I'm not playing the stream now. I'm like, yeah, Chloe, of course. We're best friends. You told me. Oh, she tells me the truth. I'm like, Allison and Rainier. Oh, my God. Helena's crying. Allison struggles to soothe her. And they're in front of this huge fucking giant window, which, of course, Helena will jump out of a giant window later to her death. It's going to be really fucking sad. That's horrible. So thanks for the reminder. Lots of nice, subtle foreshadowing going on. Rhaenyra heads to bed. She says goodnight to Kristen Cole. Night, night, Kristen. And someone left her some goody goodies. Yeah, there's like a knapsack. Uh, the drawstring guy with the random ass clothes, especially a beanie. Uh, I just thought that was funny. Though. I don't There's look good beanie. in beanies. I I think I do. Yeah, you're a beanie person. I'm not. I'm not really a hat person, but I will be for you. <laughs> so also, also on the note, it is. It's a map, which, by the way, it seems as though the instructions are written in Valyrian, which is how you know it's Damon. Oh, that's so smart, though, because I mean, I was thinking like, what if she just gets to her fucking room? And someone else got there first. I mean, this could be damning, but Valyrian is sneaky. That's very sneaky, very Damon. She escapes through a secret tunnel, right? Which is, yo, we got to see it. It's got fantastic music. Another variation, art. yeah. Another variation of um, the Rainier theme, which 
Uh, I was very excited. I love the song in the back. I can't wait till we get this soundtrack. I'm like, I can't wait till the end of the season. I need it now. I listen to the Targaryen theme too much now. All the themes from all of Game of Thrones. Thank you, great, great, great uncle cousin Magor for mm-hmm. making these tunnels. <laughs> these I'm very tunnels, sorry, yeah. though, because, you know, to all the people that died because and of that. And are buried in it. And yeah. are buried. Yeah. But our friend Maddie, who's running the Hot Tea Discussion Weekly, made a great point. Is this the passage that blood and cheese will come through? Since Damon obviously knows where it is. And it goes straight to the streets. That's true. I also... I imagine there's a lot of branching ones, so I don't know yeah. if it's this one exactly. Because why would they go to Rhaenyra's room? Yeah, I mean, it won't be her room then. Oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, fair. in general, the, yes, absolutely the passage. Oh, it'll be interesting if we see them skulking past the skull of Balerion, mm-hmm. um, which we do see Rhaenyra do, disguised in boys' clothing, but specifically, like, much lower class boys' clothing. This is like, what if we took... Season 8 Arya and blended it with a Game of Thrones Arya. And I really love that. And Cersei. And Cersei. Yeah, it's a good rule. It's a weird. From the books. From the books. books. Uh, Especially her skulking about by Balerion's skull, the dragon skulls in general. Mm -hmm. But Rhaenyra comes to the end of the tunnel where Daemon is. Yeah. And we go out to the Street of Silk. Which they don't say that's what it is, but that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried. It is what it is. You guys, we're on the street of silk. And if they we don't, don't go here, it, I mean, yeah. we'll go to the eels, you know? Oh my gosh. We'll go to the eels. So Lord Fleabottom, as if you'll all remember, Damon is also called, which they... I don't think they bring that up either in, in the show so far. Lord Fleabottom gives Rhaenyra, you know, a guided tour through the city. And then someone, um, as brushing past her, says like move out of the way boy and then she's like so excited she's like he called me boy yep it's just Arya's plot and here we are you know it's great actually there's so many good moments of someone calling her boy that I'm like waiting mm-hmm. for them to call her Ari uh it's very fun and there's fire mages and fire dancers and maybe even fiery drink Ooh, it's very fancy we even pass a magi or is it Maggie? Is it a frog? Oh, oh ribbit, oh, ribbit. Oh, ribbit, ribbit. Do you wish to know your death, child? We don't see her stop, but it makes me wonder if she thought about stopping. Yeah. Or if she did stop and we just don't know. I just realized, is the whole Maggie the frog thing like a joke about like finding out when you croak? I have to leave this podcast. This is the last episode of Girls Gone Canon. (laughs) I can't believe you finally have figured out the last mystery. And since you've unraveled this, we can end the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Have a great... I'm just kidding. But that's actually brilliant. It's probably the funniest thing you've ever said, which is why (laughs) I couldn't laugh because I was almost brought to tears. I can't give her this. Um, it, it is very Rhaenyra, Damon, Rhaenyra, Kristen, and Jamie Cersei, right? There's yes. a passage from Jamie too in A Storm of Swords. He remembered that night as if it were yesterday. They spent it in an old inn on Eel Alley, well away from watchful eyes. Cersei had come to him dressed as a simple serving as a simple serving wench, which somehow excited him all the more. Jamie had never seen her more passionate. Every time he went to sleep, she woke him again. Uh, of course, my favorite line, by morning, Casterly Rock seemed a small price to pay to be near her always. He gave his consent, and Cersei promised to do the rest. So again, not unlike Rhaenyra and Kristen, right, mm-hmm. that she condemns him to the king's guard. But also, you know, there, there's a little bit of that Damon and her in there, especially that when they were kids, Cersei and Jamie, Cersei would wear boys' clothes and switch with him for yes. funsies and sneak out with swords. Yes, and from that, you know, learn there's other there's 
what if your life uh, gave you power over it? Yep. Right? What if? What if Cersei was given power? And Rhaenyra can see what that life looks like, especially as she looks at her uncle. Mm-hmm. Part of, you know, what life outside the palace looks like, though, is uh, Rhaenyra tries to take some food from, like, a vendor and then is reminded by... <laughs> Damon. Damon, who's role-playing now, um, that people have to pay for food outside of the palace, which I thought was an, that was a great little detail, right? Because she's just used to being able to get and take whatever she wants. And that's, that is what she wants, right? She wants to be able to take whatever she wants. That's what Damon promises her the brothel is. But there are rules. There are rules. And, and all of this matters, right? Uh, the, um, when it comes to the power of perception and performance, and Damon knows the rules, and he's able to break some of them the way he doesn't get away with it because he knows how to skirt around them and he knows about the power of performance that's why there's all those people loyal to him amongst the gold cloaks and Viserys does not there's something really obvious in that like when she tries to toy with Damon here about the food Mm -hmm. she runs and tries to like play and that starts off all the running and all the fun stuff going on but then like with Kristen was that fun stuff? (laughs) I guess it was it was fun for a moment for her but then like for Kristen he plays along where Damon doesn't quite play along and this also kind of goes to like the courtesies at the front of the episode right that she does not quite bestow all courtesies upon those men she doesn't know better even here Damon is teaching her how to rule better than Viserys is yeah like way better Absolutely, because Viserys will tell her, you know, people care, right? But doesn't really show her what the consequences are of people care. And because as you, Viserys doesn't do it by example. Every episode, yeah. we've all been like, Viserys, why the fuck are you yelling at your daughter in front of all of these people? Perception matters. And it's like, okay, we'll show her that it matters. Yeah, master that performance. <laughs> Speaking of the performance of power, we see Viserys in the vulnerable moment as we head back to the bedchambers, right? His infections are spreading. Yeah, Alicent sends people out and then she takes care of him, which is a very generous scene to watch, right? Like, she's very caring and tender with him. And we cut from that in this very, you know, intimate scene of them doing this as married couple back to the Street of Silk, where there's a mummer's show critiquing Rhaenyra's claim as Viserys' daughter and as heir. Yeah. Um, as our friend Lo has pointed out, there's a lot going on in this episode regarding gender, sexuality, and power. But I think there's something here regarding gender also in performance, right? That's a, such a big part of, in general, I think, fire and blood. But also this episode as well, right? As, as Rhaenyra seems to want to cross those gender lines once to be able to flout the roles that are attached to girl and to woman and to have the autonomy that comes with being a boy or even a man. And her claim is being questioned here because, you know, as we said last last episode, only some people are, are so brilliant as to be born with cocks, right? And, and so Rhaenyra was not so talented as to be born with one. And therefore, people doubt her ability and her claim to be a leader and to take the Iron Throne. And it's kind of funny because you have the scene where Rainier is then dressed as a boy, hoping to be a ruler, learning that all these other people also hold those same ideas that rulers should be male. And she's flouting those gender roles in a couple of different ways. Currently right now within the crowd showing that, oh yeah, I can perform this role too. But then also on stage, you have the performers themselves, right? It's clear that they're doing it in the tradition of, you know, 
the way theater was performed during like medieval or even like early modern times, etc. During Shakespeare's time, you'd expect all of the performers to be male, right? So you have these male performers dressed as and performing as women, like especially with Alison, right? And then you have then these male performers pretending to have cocks. They pull them out to demonstrate that. So this uh, hyper hypersexualizing of them and masculinity, but then also having to show it on display it on stage, the displaying of masculinity. And then you have these male performers then playing as the female Rhaenyra, who is then playing at a man's role in a couple of different ways. So it's like this recursivity of the performance of gender and the blurring of the lines of it. Mm-hmm. That was some inception, it, actually. Right, right, it is. We have to go deeper. We have to go deeper. It, there was a lot going on there, especially in that, like, Rhaenyra, she was a little cocky. Hey! There's that talent. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Uh, uh, she promoted. was being cocky, though. Like, she was being cocky in manners of the sense. Many manners of the sense. Ooh. But especially that she's, like, sitting there. She's like, boo. She, like, boos along. <laughs> it was very the me whenever Otto comes on screen. Same. But she was booing along. And Damon's like, okay, you might want to chill with the hubris. Because, you know, these are the people you need yeah. to vote for you. And not vote, but, you know, like with their lives and swords under your dragon fire. These are the people that make or break your reign in some manners. and Like the dragon pit. Like the dragon pit. Yeah, I mean, these same people that she's booing for mm-hmm. their opinions on the succession are the same people that will stab the fuck out of her family's reign, out of the house of the dragon. I mean, they will bring yeah. the house of the dragon down. So. Yeah. There was something interesting going on in that of her kind of ignoring it or pushing it aside and not understanding it because she's never had to. It's only ever mattered what Allison thought or Otto thought or what Corley's thought or, you know, Lionel. She's never thought other people might also have opinions on whether or not she can rule. She's been very sheltered in that aspect. The series hasn't exposed her to all of that. And also... Maybe he should have. Yeah, I agree. He should have. He should be training her for all of that. But also... I guess he's afraid of her safety and things like that, Mm -hmm. too. Which um, would make sense to me if we're playing this as a domestic drama. Like a familial Mm -hmm. drama. But also, then you have her being like, "What what the people want is of no consequence. A little echo of last episode where Kristen's like, they'll have no choice but to. And I mean, it's just like that time Selena Meyer on Veep is like, I wish they'd just assassinate me. (laughs) (laughs) We go back to the bedchambers. Alicent's this time and... One of her maids or ladies-in-waiting shows up and is like, hey, your husband wants to put his cock in you. It is hard. It's a booty call. This is it. Like, you got to come now so he can come now. Yeah, she's all like, oh, it's late. And the maid's like, yeah. And the unspoken point is that's the point. Like, you still... (laughs) What do you think? Like, why do you think he's calling you at this time? Yeah. So come to your job, do your duty. And of course, we get something really brilliant in that it's juxtaposed against the street of silk in the bedchambers, right? Uh, You see naked people and things are, I mean, it's great because it devolves from sexy to to overbearing fast. Like for Rhaenyra, you're getting overwhelmed too, very sensory overload. And Alicent is clothed while Viserys performs intercourse in her there's something great in the contrast of like episode one when Rhaenyra lands on her dragon and Alicent is like no I shan't fly and Rhaenyra's like oh flying's great you can go anywhere but at the same time you have the dragon being ushered back into the pit put it away put that fire away ladies 
Damon and Rhaenyra enter a brothel, and he takes her beanie off. He unbeanies her as they walk past a bunch of people in various states of sex and yeah, that's not the bean she wanted. Wrong bean. With. This bean shamed us all. <laughs> Ooh. Anyways, some of the people are looking at her probably because, you know, they don't have bleach in that time. So they're all like, yo, that's that's a Targaryen. That's one of them. It's pretty obvious which one it is because there's so few. And Damon explains the brothel as a place where it's where people come to take what they want. And then as Damon holds his head close to Rhaenyra, you know, she closes the distance with a kiss. And then there's this discussion, right? This this sort of like voiceover as Allison's hands are then grasped <sighs> facing one another. They are, the hands are interestingly facing one another, contrasted with like Rhaenyra's uncle's putting his over, mm. contrasted with Damon's putting his over Rhaenyra's during a fit of passion. But the lines of marriage is a duty, yes, but that doesn't stop us from doing what we want fucking who we want. There's something great about the hands, right? That Alicent and Viserys have entered this contract and they knew-ish what they were getting into with one another. One of them might have known more in some aspects as he's the king. Damon's is overpowering Rhaenyra's and we see the power play change as she takes that kiss and she initiates and pushes forward. They make out, Damon undresses her, and does some foreplay or whatever. Viserys doesn't, so I mean... <laughs> <laughs> very contrast. Oh my god, I also don't want foreplay from the series. Uh, I think about it. With his little finger sockets. So then he leaves her. Damon leaves her. Yes, and then um in the inside the episode, the director, Claire Kilner, talks about it and talks about how, you know, Damon's Damon doesn't know how to deal with this, right? He's turned off to an extent because Rhaenyra isn't like shocked or like trolled by whatever he's doing. She's excited by everything that's going on. This this freedom and and when that hap- Kilner says when that happens he has nothing and he basically can't handle not being in charge or in control. When you look at it even from that angle you realize this is just every day for Damon and it's lost its flavor, it's lost its spice. You know, getting exiled to fight in the Stepstones was exciting for him. That was his street of silk, right? Yes. And Rhaenyra is so excited by it. He almost wanted her to look at it and be like, this is pathetic, Damon. What you're doing is pathetic. Yeah. And she didn't. I don't know, her youth and eagerness is so attractive to him, but also unbreakable. Almost Lyanna-esque, I guess, in some ways. And very, you know, Arya has that fierce quality to her. But very, um, it's like he wants to both devour it, but when he realizes that devouring it would make him sick, then he's like, no, gross, puke it up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess he doesn't want to be the one to break all of the trust, right, Mm -hmm. within the family and realizes that's what it would do. Uh, it, it still happens anyways, right? There's a part of me that also kind of wonders, is Damon's fixation on Rhaenyra? Part of it is he he just does feel like she gets him mm-hmm. in some ways, as we've seen in previous episodes. But there's another aspect in which is she, does he see her a little bit like um, the relationship between Robert and Ned? Oh. Robert seemed to also be fixated on this idea of wedding Lyanna, not because he was that into her. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not, but obviously he didn't quite see her for who she is. Damon sees, I think, Rhaenyra for who she is. But Robert saw Lyanna as a way to be part of Ned's family. Mm-hmm. And is Damon seeing Rhaenyra turning stone as like a, an extension or something as a Viserys? Of his love. Yeah, yeah another his way to get yeah Viserys' love and attention. But also- To secure it. But that's not the only way, right? Again, part of it is he is- he is into his niece. <laughs> there, there's something in what you said. Like, you know, last week I cut something from this episode that you wanted me to cut it first, but I think I should have kept it. 
And it's that, you know, Viserys, even in this episode, he says at one point that he has come to care for Alicent because she was there for him when no one else was, when he was grieving, which is true. She was also there when no one else was. So it becomes a matter of, did he really marry her for love? Because for whose love? She's not in love. Poor girl. It wasn't really love. It was for attention. And that is something we see. People love attention. They love being loved. I mean, who doesn't love being loved? I love yeah. being loved. I love you. I Aww, love loving I love you. Oh, buddy. We're here. We're yeah. here. Buddy. 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 Buddy wives. <laughs> but we're buddy wives. Oh, um, my God. Oh, my fuck. Rhaenyra, when he shows up, he is the hottest thing on the block. I mean, that's true, too. But in and out of universe. But for Rhaenyra especially, like, she's like, Uncle Damon, dragon rider Uncle Damon, the only man that's ever given me attention and cool yeah. things. He's the cool fucking uncle. And he loves that. He loves, like you said, in a familial way. He loves being needed and loved and wanted in ways that he's never felt or he doesn't constantly feel. It, it feels almost, you know, like, What's the word um, when you love someone? Unconditional. Yeah. <laughs> it feels almost unconditional in a way, or what he fucked up at least thinks is unconditional. There's something about that. Like, he wants to be loved, and is there. Yeah. Just that's, like that's Allison true. was. Yeah. Rhaenyra makes him feel a little less lonely in the world, and that's the same for how Rhaenyra feels about him. They're thrown together. You've said this a couple of times already throughout the previous episodes. They're thrown together because they're so isolated from everyone else, mm -hmm. right? Everyone pushes them into one another's arms, and like, I do think that in a way, the idea of Rhaenyra having to marry off, Damon knows that's happening, obviously, because she's told him they're trying to fucking marry me off and sell me off, uncle. In a way... I think that's why he chases her down the street and lets everyone fucking see her because letting her be seen ruins her and he knows everybody here. Like everyone knows who he is and he knows everyone. It's not, as you said, hard to piece together that's Rhaenyra Targaryen. You can bring a couple of Lysini girls over to the pillow houses, but like that's a straight up a Targaryen. She has the blood of a Valyria in her veins. You can see it straight up looking at her. He doesn't want anyone else to have her. He wants to be the one to ruin her. He wants her to be his. He yeah. doesn't want her to leave him like everyone else has done, just like she doesn't want him to leave her like everyone else has done. That's true. Their and abandonment issues are big, Aliana. They are, they are. And then I've, I remember discussing this, what, in the first episode, now now that we're talking about desire and this like kind of like philosophical sense, I'm wondering to an extent, uh, is there an aspect in which Rhaenyra's desire for her uncle is this sort of like Lacanian thing in which she desires her uncle because she desires to be someone who has freedom what he right? has yeah yes the desire to you know in this copulation become one with him and become someone who has freedom over her body over mm -hmm. her future and wherever she goes right the desire is to be him not be with him because he is like a shithead as we know he's a total shit ass but also like but at least not a shit hand exactly and he's authentically him like, yes. however you feel about Daemon Targaryen, he's Daemon Targaryen. He's never someone else. He's yeah, There's no men like him, only him. Uh, oh, actually, my God. Actually kind of, I mean, there yeah. are no men like him. There are only him. And he's... Except for 93 Jamie, as you said. Exactly. Same person. <laughs> the, the corporate wanted you to find the difference. They're the same people. Not only is he always him, like, you get to even the later points in the story with the Rosby Stokeforth stuff. Like, he straight up says to her, fuck him. Fuck him, Rhaenyra. Who yeah. cares? And somebody else, Corley, says, don't fuck him. And she goes, huh, but what if? And that gets in the back of her head because, well, you know. Fear. Fear. She starts to live in fear. Yeah. You never want to do that. Rhaenyra chases after Damon in the alleyway and a boy goes to rat on them. 
And speaking mm-hmm. of rats, Allison sees one as she stares at the bed canopy, post-copulation. Uh, that's a sign. That's a metaphor. It's a sign and important, I would say. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> <laughs> sign and important. We saw Harwin in the yeah, alley. And so, okay. Interesting. To fangirl out together before we, you know, keep talking about gender and analysis and all these things we like. <laughs> We were so hyped about this episode. We were sitting on the couch yeah. like, what's going to happen? And when she walks up to Harwin and Harwin's like, take care, boy. Next time you won't be as lucky because the next time, you know, they're going to fuck and he's going to plant a bastard in her. Um, a dozen, if you will. He loves her fireiness. <sighs> he so loves that it. shit. He's Tormund so style, it. people have pointed out. What if he's the Tormund, you know? Like, ah, the Targaryen girl. <laughs> I've said that too often, yeah. too. But back to those Arya vibes. Take care, boy. Very pronounced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but were we not in shock when she didn't go with him? That yeah. was... Because the story goes. However yeah. it happened, whether Kristen or Damon said no, spurned her, whatever happened. However that happened, she meets Harwin. And mm-hmm. this was very different. I liked it. It was, yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. And she'll remember that. She'll remember that he did her a solid and that he's going to do her solid. And, oh, my God. Um, and also, there's quite a bit, in, as we'll discuss later in this episode, that speaks to how Harwin probably meets his fate. Mm-hmm. There is. There. But back to the bedchambers for real now. We're staying in the bedchambers for a sec. Rhaenyra walks past Kristen as she goes home, right? Um, and he's worried because he's like, I literally just saw her. How the fuck did this happen? And she slams the door. She's kind of upset. Very yeah. teenager slamming the door shit. Also a little drunk. Yeah, that too. A lot of things. And he's like, should I tell the Lord Commander? And she like panicked, opens the door and goes, No. And then she grabs his helmet and taunts him or teases him. And then, you know, as they're playing this game, eventually she locks the door, isolating him in there with just her. And and then she kisses him and she starts to, like, disrobe and he tells her to stop. But she keeps going, eventually undressing him. He doesn't use physical physicality to stop her, but... Well, this is this is a complex scene. Yeah, they undress, they have sex. Rhaenyra removes her clothes last, her boy's clothing last. Yeah. Insane scene. I was, I mean, we were just like sitting there, jaws open, like, what? What's happening? Oh my God, they're having the sex. You know? <laughs> I was like, and he's having sex. I'm not really into Kristen Cole physically. Like his face isn't for me. He's just not my type type. You know, I, I respect him. Yeah. Great physique, good scene, good good sex scene, you guys. You all did great. I like the tastefulness of it. Um, I love that it was from the window, kind of blurred out here and there, but then in focus. From the I window love... to his balls, yeah. From the window to his balls. Thank you, Eliana. So I dropped down his balls, okay. Some great metaphorical gender shit going on, right, with her being the last to disrobe and her tenderly removing his armor and literally, you know, getting inside of his armor, getting taking that armor off. It's very tender and loving, um, I wonder if this is what Cersei and Jamie's first time making love was like at the Eel Inn, the Inn of Eels, as we mm. discussed earlier. I mean, I imagine when they met in secret to make love, her in serving clothes or boys' clothes, him in armor. It's very tender, though. I, I was very surprised at the tenderness, and it answered a lot of questions for me immediately of, like, ways I think they're going to adapt certain things in the series that we'll talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really clarifies how some of this, like, he said, Drama she said. goes, yeah, and and why the emotions run so hot? If this is the way that it went down, and of course, you know, like when we were watching the episode, I was kind of a, I was a little uncomfortable with the way that they first portrayed it, and not like I was uncomfortable because it didn't seem like Kristen was consenting. 
necessarily at first. We are told behind the scenes that he does want it, right? And it's it's a very complex scene because you get a lot of the way that intersectionality of identity functions, right? In the rest of society, in most of society, Rhaenyra would probably be expected to yield, right? And would hold less power. Mm-hmm. But Kristen Cole, as a king's guard, as someone who serves her, is the one, like, Rhaenyra holds power over him, right? We talk about, like, will the people have a choice? Will they not? And is the choice then removed when you have that difference in power in their relationship with him as her employee? There's definitely something discomforting, especially, like, and some of that is on, I think, intentional direction. I mean, we are supposed to feel yeah, I a little so. uncomfortable because in the last episode, like we said, they sit there and she goes, do you think they'll accept me as queen, Sir Kristen? And he yeah. goes, they'll have to. Yes. Um, now, that said, I mean, he could have made a bigger deal out of it. The last episode, I think they could have done more to build up their relationship. We talked about some of the time difference mm-hmm. that we're you know, going on a six-year here time jump in totality i just felt in the last episode after two years of being her sworn sword didn't seem very i don't know the closeness wasn't there it still seemed very professional curt etc this episode i totally felt that they did a much better job of directing them and you could sense the closeness yeah so i do think that it was more duty sitting between them than that i think he did want her uh but it was still Power-wise, it was an imbalance and it was uncomfortable and you're supposed to sit there and go, oh shit, this is a problem for you, Kristen. Yeah, because like, can he say no? Can he not? I mean, yes and no, right? Like- Look at Allison. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly juxtaposed for a reason. Like that Allison also cannot say no at 2 a.m. She's called to the king's quarters to fuck him at the owl of the hour, at the hour of the bat, at the bat of the night. Whatever hour. Batman. Yeah, Yeah. hour of the the wolf, maybe. Um, And here's- Rhaenyra coming in at the hour of the wolf and Kristen Cole is also called upon for his duty to serve. Yeah, to serve. And we do, there is a physicality in his performance that shows that he does in fact want it, right? Like Mm -hmm. that he is enthusiastic about the sex, but power is part of it. And power is a big part of this story. And I, that's why I don't want to like just shove that away. And yeah, do you want to bring that into the conversation? Even when she climbs on top of him, when she rides him like a dragon, I mean, (laughs) I mean, that's the, yeah, exactly. And then like, that's, that's the same as like how Viserys was on top of Allison, Mm -hmm. right? And she's, she's going to be the queen. She's put him in this position, not just physically in that one, but also she's the one who gave him this job, right? As a king's guard, she is the reason why he cannot wed or hold any wives. He threw his hat. It's a complex point. He threw his hat in the ring and he does, as you said, have feelings for her. We see it in this episode. He protects her. They exchange knowing glances. And there's something that does work in mm-hmm. this with their relationship to an extent and that, yeah, they're getting physically naked with one another, vulnerable as she removes his armor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously those Ari's Ocart things with the cloak. She's removing... She, he, he's taking his guard down and she has in a way always had her guard down around him right because he's mm-hmm. had to see her in her moments of vulnerability and weakness physically and emotionally and she doesn't really show that to anyone else not even damon i mean it's professional up until that point until you mix pleasure oh yeah that's true with with the suffering with the pain mm-hmm. which and we end the scene in the hands chambers with a messenger arriving before we also go to mix pain and pleasure with Damon's hangover with Mizaria. Oh he awakens to her caring for him, who knows how he stumbled back here. 
She tells him, pay your way out, and she accepts coins back from this little messenger that we just saw in the hands chamber. Seems to be an Otto's employee. And there's a little back and forth. There's an interesting shade to add to this, that Missaria can no longer fully only trust Damon. Obviously is making networking connections on the outside just to protect herself. Yeah, and she impresses upon Damon that she isn't just a common sex worker, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously she's not. She's also a politician, as we're seeing. Otto then looks very constipated as he waits to deliver his very exciting news. He's He's got a lot of complex feelings oh about this. God. He does. He's like, oh, I'm so excited to deliver this <laughs> for this news to reach a series, but I'm also, I don't want it to be me. But he's so excited about it. And I mean, part of it, as they explain in the Inside the Scenes, it's as we can kind of see in the last scene of this episode or the last scenes. He does care about Viserys, but also he's a little too excited. He knocks and goes into Viserys' room. It's real early. Yeah, he tattles on Rhaenyra and is like, she did unseemly things. People saw her and Damon in a pleasure den coupling. And Allison. Sorry. <laughs> Allison is overhearing from behind a screen, and Viserys takes the news really poorly. He threatens Otto, insults him. Yeah, and then as you, as we all know, right, he later sacks him. But the way that he takes it out on Otto, right, reminds me a little bit of Damon. You mm-hmm. get a parallel with how Damon took out his anger on the messenger. The previous episode, Viserys is doing the same thing here too with the messenger being Otto, but maybe you shouldn't have been so excited about it, Otto. Maybe you should have just kept things to yourself. Anyways, again, Allison watches from behind the screen. We, we get Allison watching and then we flash over to Kristen coming to Rhaenyra and saying uh, the queen. <laughs> uh, uh, Kristen tells Rhaenyra the queen summoned her and off Rhaenyra goes to the queen. Yeah, I love this detail of she's got this loose hair. She's a loose woman now. Welcome, Rainier. My hair is also loose. I-, I loved that Kristen puts the conflict in his sentence. He says, Princess, I have a message from the queen. Uh. Oh, oh, oh. Uh. Said the thing. We get girl talk in the godswood. Oh my god, how much for the tickets? I haven't seen them in so long. I would love to go to... No, they're not. No. Girl talk's over. But girl talk is performing in the godswood. Oh my my god. This is so 110 AC. This is the party that they're going to. Um, This is the... I mean, this is the House of the Dragon remix, if you think about it. Allison confronts Rhaenyra about the allegations and then specifies about the uncle part. She's like, I don't know what you mean. She's like, oh, we just went into the city for fun. And Allison's like, okay, what about the brothel? That's fun. <laughs> Rainier's like, we didn't do anything at any of these sex shows. And then, like, she says in this, like, really dejected way. And then Damon sank into his cups and abandoned me for some whore. I should have known better. And I was like, interesting how things might play out later on. Oh. Damon abandoning her for someone else. Yeah. In a different way. But, I mean, he didn't really abandon her for someone else in that time. He he was kind of, like, repulsed by her, I guess. I really liked that she used that because she knows what happened. Not to that extent. She doesn't understand what's wrong with Damon. She's young. She has no experience in life and romance and sex. Damon did sink into his cups and woke up in Missaria in her home. And she's not wrong there, but at the same time, it is not necessarily the truth. Yeah. It's not the truth. The truth is she couldn't keep up with him and he disappeared. She would have kept going all night with him if he would let her. That's true. Uh, And I don't know. It's interesting she chose that lie to die on and also because it's a lie that can't really be corroborated, obviously. And that is a first little, just a cute little white lie between friends. 
Uh, and Allison really wants to know, like, that Rhaenyra didn't do anything and not with Damon. And Rhaenyra's like, no, I promise I didn't do anything with Damon. She swears that she's still a maiden on her mother's memory or something like that, right? She more or less swears to that. And I was like, dang. But I mean, like, you know, maybe she feels like Allison doesn't care that much about her mother's memory. Um, but anyways. <laughs> I couldn't figure out why. I mean, Allison is, like, very concerned about Rhaenyra here. Then Allison kind of, like, plays this guilt trip card of how hard both Viserys and she have been working to get a good match for Rhaenyra and that Rhaenyra can't just show up to it and she says like in this a brilliantly disgusted way sullied oh my god <laughs> she's such a prude in this scene I love her so much it was funny as hell I like can't relate to her but like yeah in that aspect there's a couple of things going on here right like, these are the friends with different morals or values but anyways they're both starting to like manipulate one another a little just Mm, very lightly on the edges here but they're both lying to one another a little bit and hiding the truth of their feelings though at the same time there is this line Rhaenyra calls her the queen Mm -hmm. And it goes back to earlier when Allison was like, sometimes I don't feel like I'm Lady Allison anymore. Like, people just see me as the queen. Mm -hmm. And she says it in this hushed voice uh, because the queen has, like, this ominous connotation because most of them fucking die in childbirth. She calls her the queen and she's not being facetious. She's not. She means it because she knows that hearing that piece of respect means something to Allison. They both very clearly still care about the other and are treading on eggshells. You know, Rhaenyra lies. She doesn't fuck. Damon, she fucks Kristen. And this is totally the crux. This is the turning point. This is the downfall in their relationship. And this scene did two things for me. Kristen will tell Allison the truth. That's where she's going to learn. She'll know that Kristen and Rhaenyra fucked, right? That's part one of what it did for me, Eliana, mm-hmm. because two, she's going to fuck Kristen Cole. She's repressed sexually. We just that saw that. That never had an orgasm in her life. Kristen Cole is going to give her a sweet orgasm. Good for her, I think. But like, she's totally repressed sexually. And we see that, that she's like, oh my God, a brothel? Rhaenyra, a brothel? She's like drinking? She's like, my God, on a school night, Rhaenyra? She's like, you had sex for not procreation? Rhaenyra, that is against what the seven gods have taught all of us individually. Kristen and her are like both going to be brokenhearted because we can see even from the trailer in the weeks ahead, they're both pissed about her marrying Laner. Kristen and Allison are going to get mad when she then marries Damon, who they both are probably like, no, please don't ever talk to that man. He has a bad influence on you, good Rhaenyra. She's like, good. Yeah, I mean, I think that they will, in a way, also be pushed into each other's arms through... Mm-hmm. They're both going to feel betrayed, right? Allison mm-hmm. here still feels like Rhaenyra is her best friend and that that trust has been broken. But I kind of wondered, like, does... We see Rhaenyra can sometimes be good at faking, right? Like, she she played Allison in the first episode regarding the knowledge about Nymeria. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I mean, Rhaenyra feels that trust was already broken between them because it turns out her best friend was hanging out with her dad and then got married to her dad. But I think they're rebounding with each other, right? Like... The way that this scene is played, Allison is a prude, but there's something in her disbelief of what Rhaenyra has done and about her maidenhead that mm-hmm. feels almost like a hurt, jilted lover, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, you didn't even wait two weeks before you fucked someone else kind of thing, right? And it would be like, in a way, two of Rhaenyra's lovers finding comfort in one another. That is how it feels. Like, yeah. they both are patching up their broken heart from their youthful romance together, all three of them. They're rebounding. Yeah, they're rebounding. That's perfect. And, you know, destroying the whole realm because of it. Yeah. 
We head to the throne room again. As we began the episode, we end it for Damon here. This time it's empty and he's thrown into the room. He's wearing white, Viserys, in his super goth, hot topic core Targaryen outfit. Mm-hmm. Viserys kicks his brother and accuses Damon of defiling Rhaenyra. And Damon's like, who cares? We used to fuck through brothels. And he says, who gives a fuck what some lord thinks? You are the dragon. Your word is truth and law. Viserys threatens to disinherit Rhaenyra like he did to Damon. And Damon says, give her to me. You know, let me wife that girl up. Like our house. Think about Aegon. I could have two wives. And then who he's are like, relatives. Yeah, who are relatives. And he's, he's like, uh, we're the house of the dragon, brother. Yeah. We can do whatever the fuck we want. And Viserys is like, you only think about the throne. And he says, you need to go back to your fucking wife. And Damon says, as you wish, brother. And I'm like, oh, he said he loves him. Because yeah. that's that's like in the Princess Bride, as you wish. Yeah, it's that's Princess Wesley. Bride. Exactly. He loves his brother. They're Targs. It's fine. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised we haven't seen it yet. I'm not joking. It happened in one of my games last night. Oh Actually, my gosh, oh my really? god, I married really? Reyna to Aegon in one of my CK2 mm-hmm. Aegon games, okay. and I have to tell you, they both were gay. Oh, okay, brilliant. Because I was like, oh, I'm surprised you won't see. We wouldn't see something like I don't know, Reyna and Alison, something, you know, like or why not spice it up? Exactly. I mean, why not? You could always bring a strong third into the mix. I agreed. That. That. Uh, the way that everything went down in the throne room, you know, I thought that was interesting because Damon doesn't deny Viserys' allegations. He lets Viserys think what he wants of what happened in that brothel, even though this time we as the audience actually saw what happened, right? We saw that it was a half-truth in a way, what Viserys was told. Because Damon did, in a way, kind of defile Rhaenyra in terms of, you know, reputation and, like, even her being there, engaging in some sort of sexual activity, even if it's not intercourse, that's something other lords will take seriously. They don't give a fuck. They want someone who's pure and innocent, right? That's a p- allegedly what men want. But it is reminiscent of episode one, where Viserys is told by Otto that Damon said that line about an heir for day. We don't see what happens, right? But we can kind of put things together from how this goes down in this episode that how the bit about the brothel got mangled that it seems likely that Damon's speech was also pretty mangled too and both of those parallel each other it's always like in the privacy of the throne room right yeah and but also like what he did it's funny because oh my god poor puppy boy poor Damon Targaryen my poor <laughs> who are you <laughs> my poor baby meow meow um <laughs> Listen, I noted Damon Targaryen lover. Yeah, actually, though. Wow. No, that, that's who you are now. Oh, and who had a better story than Chloe the Broken? But, oh I mean, there's something... I mean, yes, Damon could have done a lot worse things on this brothel journey. Sure. I mean, he was actually a responsible uncle as far as uncles who want to fuck their nieces go. You know, like, he, he didn't, but first of all. He did also abandon her in Flea mm. Bottom. That's a little dangerous. But sometimes you gotta let kids work their way up from the bottom. He Anyways, left her her beanie. Ah, oh, that's true. This bean shames us all. <laughs> this beanie shames us all. Oh that's God. a that's a beanie. Oh, beanie babies. This beanie shames us all. Oh, you with should, GGC you, on you it. Should make that. I don't know. There's something interesting that like it wasn't horribly intended. Same with the air for a day speech, but the fact that they were both very public events that <laughs> multiple people saw. Viserys is like, dude, I know we're the blood of the dragon, but we're trying to lie to the people and tell them that we're just like them, but with dragons. 
We're just like you guys, but with dragons. You can't just be out there fucking your niece in the brothels. And Damon's like, we don't need to do that. Yeah, exactly. We have dragons. It's we the old way versus like, the new way. Yeah, we don't have to act like we're like them. Damon's even more like them, right? Because he's out mm-hmm. there. Like he's, them. He's out there amongst them, talking to them. Well, these people are talking in the Warhammer room. It's Allison <laughs> and Viserys. And Allison says, you know, it's not in Rhaenyra's nature to be deceitful, but Damon is. And goes like, how often does he speak the pure truth? And I am, I guess, a Damon defender. And I'm like, I, for one, have never heard Damon tell a lie. There are no men like him, only him. I Literally, I don't literally. know if I've heard him tell a lie. I don't think so. He's, again, very authentic. He isn't a liar. Uh, Allison is like, his lies are meant to reduce you when it's really, I guess, Rhaenyra's lies. I'm like, isn't that just what you're doing as you cut off your fingers? Ah. Reducing the parts of Anyways. Viserys doesn't believe that Rhaenyra's innocent, though, and says the blood of the dragon is chaotic, which is the biggest, truest statement I've <laughs> ever heard in this show. Chaotic energy. Yup. And Allison believes Rhaenyra when she tells her she's still a maiden. She's and like, if there's one thing that Alicent can't abide its lies about purity and maidenhood. She's like, no, Rhaenyra's maidenhood is for me. I only cheated on her because I got married. (laughs) To her dad. (sighs) Rhaenyra is then escorted back to her dad's chambers by the king's guard. And the prophecy dagger is in the fire. And it was Aegon's before, and then also Aenor's even before, and further back, who knows. I'm kind of wondering, is the spell only like very, very visible and readable when it's heated right is it like a scratch and sniff but you put it in the fire instead no i I think that's a good point because we talk i mean a mood ring look at the twin swords look at uh oath keeper and look at widow's whale and Mm -hmm. see like you know they this the people that did the spells this time they weren't quite as good didn't have all the resources as those of valyria you know Mm -hmm. and those kind of metal workers and valyrian steel workers uh i think it's that's not out of too far out of stretch to say they literally put a spell imbibed spells because they do when yeah. they make them they put spells in them i wonder if there are some other swords we should put in the fire soon like ice mm. that would be interesting i wonder what ice would says. be really interesting well i guess it's torn apart now well when you put it back in the fire and reforge it i mean those are that's a theory people have had well well we it's foreshadowing splitting the, the split stones. yeah it's it's about the north and the south anyways <laughs> so anyways um <laughs> On that prophecy dagger, it says, From my blood come the prince that was promised, and his will be the song of ice and fire. Viserys says this burden's larger than the throne or them or her desires. Jaehaerys would have disinherited you, he says, which is true, because look Uh, at Sarah. Absolutely. Look at Visera. Rip. The truth doesn't matter, Rhaenyra. Only perception. Eliana in the background, throwing her hands in the air. Yo, perception. The themes. The themes. The themes. Rhaenyra is pretty pissed about this speech. She says, were I born a man, I could bed whomever I wanted. I could father a dozen bastards. <laughs> and no one in your court would blink an eye. Yeah. 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 Well, they might blink a couple eyes. There are a couple eyes that may blink. Uh, we're going to find that out. And and it's not, you know, thankfully it's not a dozen. It's like a, just a it's a couple, couple a few. She's got a point, right? No one, they let it happen with Aegon the Fourth. If you just keep yeah. acting like it's not happening, everyone will believe you too, Dad. Or just, you know, they're allowed to own it, right? Yeah. Aegon the Fourth was allowed to fucking own it. And he flaunted his bastards out. Well, yeah, he flaunts and, and linearly he, he, he flaunts a lot of things, but... um, In the future. Uh, and then that leads to a war too, but whatever. YOLO. To be fair, up until this point, no, bastards weren't really accepted in the Targaryen court like that. Like, their own bastards. They didn't have bastards up till now. They had or- the Baratheons. Yeah, the Baratheon but, I mean, one. that's different. He was legitimized by Aegon 
Aenys didn't have bastards. Yeah, His but children Aenys didn't bring bastards is to court. Supposed, is rumored to be a bastard as well. Well, that's too. different, though. That's different. Mm-hmm. That's different. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> I will say that's what this language really does for me because for those of you that haven't listened to MILFs of the Dragon, you need to <laughs> over at our Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. If you go listen to that episode part one, you'll hear that we theorize about Rainey's having having her own handsome men at court that she liked and possibly the fact that Aenys wasn't a lot like Aegon. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bastard, but he could have been a bastard. And wouldn't it be so funny if Rhaenys is lying, the mother of the dragon mm-hmm. in totality is fake. Like it's just her. It's all based on her. She's the blood of the dragon. Everyone in the story that we have to date is the blood of Rhaenys, not the blood of necessarily only Aegon. Yeah. It does say from my blood, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. say from my line. It says from, from my, blood, my blood. Which to me seems a little pointed considering that Ned confirms to Catelyn not that John is his son, says John is, is of my blood. Yes, he is of my blood. So I, th- I, I mean, it could be. It could, it could be. be. Anyways, so Viserys refuses to name Aegon heir because it would sow further division, you know, as though everything else hasn't already. Viserys, you're doing a terrible job. You're, you're doing a bad job. Viserys then decides that Rhaenyra will lead Laner for all of this, recombining the strength of their houses. And it actually, this moment reminds me a little of Rob telling Edmure that Edmure must wed one of the phrase to, oh, you know, make up for the mistake of Rob marrying someone else. Uh, just like Viserys did, but also a bit, it, it also reminds me a little bit of Hoster wedding Liza to John Aaron, which that revelation comes out around the same time as Rob forcing Edmure to do this. And not unlike what we'll get with Moontea later coming exactly. from that result. Exactly. is like, sure, I will do my duty and wed Laner, but you need to do yours as king and deal with fucking Otto Hightower. Finally. Finally. Oh, oh man, that was, you know, if there was something we were yelling more oh. about than that, oh my God. It's everything we've been saying to him. Like, Viserys, you need to do your job. And in doing his job, Otto Hightower gets to lose his job. Lose Finally. your job. Lose your job. Lose your job. Um, Viserys recounts, actually it's a great firing because he's like, hmm, my father was the hand to Jaehaerys, not unlike you. And he's like, kind of implies a little bit. He's like, you know, he died of a burst belly, which no one has ever fucking heard of, Otto. So what really is a burst belly? Wonder if it has anything to do with Otto Hightower. And he basically just implies like, you have it out for me and my family, don't you, Otto? You up-jumping asshole. Do you actually think Otto? No, but I definitely got the impression that Viserys was like implying Otto is a big part of Targaryen downfall. Like, hmm, kind of seems like you might be behind a lot of this horror in my life, Otto. Absolutely, absolutely. Regarding Otto, um, he is up-jumped, right? Like, and that's what, it's the one good thing the series has done, and he's doing it for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> we get these lines of, you know, he, he finally figures it out. Years later, years and two fucking kids later, she was a calculated distraction. I only now realize how well calculated. What do you mean only now? Only now? You didn't, you thought she like legit liked you this whole time. Anyways. That is a big betrayal. I mean, for him to realize like, oh shit, I was getting played and I didn't notice because I only had enough blood for my dick at the time. Will it sour the relationship between the series and Allison though? 
Maybe. Otto has this line, a loyal hand must tell his king a discomforting truth from time to time. Literally never seen Otto do this. (laughs) Mostly lies. He had a lot of chances to do that the second episode, and he didn't, right? His judgment was compromised, as uh, as Viserys said. And so Otto is fired. Woo! No benefits. No benefits of the doubt, especially. Let's go back to Rainier's bedchambers. Yep. There's a knock, and she says, come. Just like uh, her father does when he tells people to come inside. Uh, not like that. Sorry, that was that was not intentional. You have to be distinct that, about that, this, Eliana. That was literally not intentional. Mister Mellows delivers some moon tea, though he doesn't say that exact name. He just calls it the tea, and turns out, interestingly, Rainier doesn't know what any of this is. Viserys sent it for her to, as it says, rid her of any unwanted consequences. Yeah, I mean, like that is a lot of what this episode is about, right? Like having power, having autonomy, mm-hmm. and part of. You know, when you're exerting power over other people, right? Not just the power over your own body, because, like, people should have that. And that's kind of what's going on here, except not really, because her father's like, you're not allowed to have kids out of wedlock. And, you know, we, again, we don't know if Kristen Cole committed treason like that. But anyways, exerting power over others is kind of having unwanted consequences. That's what it means to be able to do that. It means taking away the autonomy of other people. And Viserys wants to avoid the unwanted consequences of I mean, kind of having to deal with his family. He's doing a terrible job of it. Yeah, instead of dealing with his family, he thought it would just go away by marrying his daughter's best friend and having children with her. Anyways. You have made like about 75%, maybe 80% of the problems in your family right now, Viserys. Maybe your unwanted consequences (laughs) need moon tea. For real, though. For real. I thought it was really interesting that Viserys Hoster Tolgarian sent, <laughs> first of his name, sent uh, Moon Tea to his daughter, and also that he trusted Maester Melos to deliver it. I know a lot of people have theories that maybe it wasn't him that sent it. It was him. There's no reason yeah. to complicate this. He also trusted Maester Melos to mm-hmm. send this, which means Melos knows that Rhaenyra had some sort of something going on where she might want Moon Tea. There's been a lot of chit-chat about like a maester conspiracies in general. Maybe the maesters have it out for the Targs, yada yada, which who's to say? Probably. Who doesn't? But I don't think that's a part of this. I think Melos in general is just like ineffective. And it's interesting. He's more interesting politically to me than he is in medicine. Like Gildane in Fire and Blood. Uh, when Viserys loses the two fingers in the timeline in Fire and Blood, Gerardus, Rhaenyra's dragonstone maester, shows up, amputates his fingers, saves his life. Melos was just not as good. Like Gildane says, Melos liked leeching and Gerardus liked potions. And I thought he was smarter for liking the potions and his mm. leeching, Melos's leeching, didn't do so great. So politically smart, medically not. Gildane actually takes something else interesting from Melos's writings that he thinks Viserys lights the fire at Harrenhal. Melos is the only person so... And us. And us. And me. Yeah, especially me. (laughs) We think that Viserys lights the fire. (laughs) So with these things combined that Melos was trusted to bring Moon Tea to Rhaenyra, especially in terms of her possibly having a bastard and the fact that she then goes on to birth three bastards in the next few years. Mm -hmm. And him sending the moon tea, I mean, it pretty much really solidifies that Viserys lights the fire at Harrenhal to get rid of the Strongs to remove the evidence. Like, right here, he's showing he wants to be able to remove the evidence of her dalliances. He's not above it. I think he'll also remove it with fire, too. 
Proviseri's logic just goes out the window, right? I mean, also in general, that's Teenage why he, daughters. that's why yeah he weds Allison, but also especially with Rainier, that's why he does all this shit with Damon. That's why um he's like I will take their eyes out, which I love the delivery of that. It's so silly. I agree. I think some of the Maester stuff is next is is more of like prompted by the violence after the Targaryen Civil War, mm-hmm. after the dance, and also I think they're just combining some of the stuff with Melos, right? I know people have discussed, you know, like, Ara, do other women in Westeros have the same access, right? Like, you're talking about the power and autonomy over bodies that Rhaenyra does with this. And I would say, arguably, right, as we saw within the context of the main books, there are actually, like, a lot of folk remedies and a lot of other people, especially, like, the village women, know about the herbs that can be used for abortion them making abortificence though for example like it's so that it's on speed dial that right here mellows has had it dished up ready in a crystal glass for like hey babe here you go versus those women out of necessity have learned that they can create it from these herbs that their mothers or their relatives or friends have passed down that's interesting or like mazaria right yeah yeah but that is interesting with Melos, who, again, I think they're combining because there was another Grand Maester before who died. Runciter. Yeah, and then they, like, just, like, they just have him. But yes, agreed, Viserys lights fire. But this is, like, he, he would yes. be here during this time in the book. Yeah, no, no, I agree. He would, yeah. he would. This is Melos' time, but, like, that's why we're seeing, you know, he does also know how to, he's the one who cuts the fingers, right? Yeah. Uh. You know, we won't get those fires till a bit later. So let's talk about later, right? That's the end of the episode. Let's talk about next time on Dragon Balls. Not Dragon Ball Z, just Dragon Balls, because this is about Targaryens having sex. (sighs) So I slow-moed the trailer because (laughs) you people out there love your leaks. And I just love to slow-mo a trailer. 0.5, press that crap on play. You can find out so much. So House Valerian and Targaryen join their strength. There's a fight at the wedding. Um, wow, it's insane. It's very wild. So first off, in the beginning of the trailer, the Lannisters come in looking super serious. Jason is at the front looking very haughty and very mm-hmm. aggressive. Mm-hmm. Kristen has a shot where he's stepping out, taking his sword out to take care of something, which seems like it's for Alicent. And they're in front of the orgy Valyrian scroll, one of the many. Uh, and we flash. It's very clever editing. The way it's edited is that we immediately flash to what looks like Joffrey Lonmouth dying on the ground, possibly during the wedding, it looks like, which is a good way to do it, I think, like to blend some events together, mm-hmm. but fucked up that you're killing Laner's boyfriend at his wedding. Anyways. Or, yeah, or it's just like him getting, I don't know, beaten up and then we're getting a miss direction misdirection maybe well either way the misdirect is big right like it's definitely a misdirect because yeah it took me two watches to be like oh shit wait that's not Kristen. uh it's a different weapon it's a completely different Mm -hmm. weapon and Mm -hmm. angle um but we do get after the flash of joffrey lawnmouth probably beating the shit out of him on the ground maybe dying this is horrible to laner at the table at the head table at the dais getting the shit beat out of him too by someone that looks like they're in lannister colors in the red and yellow also gaston when you think about it do with that what you will uh but also some other guy in dark clothing kind of like holding him down kind of beating his head against the table i'm like what this is this is the worst wedding ever because unless they're dothraki yeah maybe i mean well where's the death (laughs) so I'm, they did a great job of editing only the fantastical, beautiful wedding things into all the trailers before now. Yeah. Because this is the first time we're seeing this wedding 
portrayed in this light, in a negative light. Mm-hmm. And it's messy. Yeah, Corlys is watching the mess. And I can't tell if he wants to jump in and fix it and stop them or if he's yelling or what. But he's watching, standing up on the dais. Harwin gets in on it and he punches what looks like some sort of guard. Happy it was great. Him. He looks happy too. Like, <laughs> if you're not happy for him, don't I'm worry. He's Harwin. happy enough for himself. Uh, and then we flash out, do a little different world. You see Damon, a shot of Damon yeah. in the veil. Great and- catch. Great catch on your part. And, Thank and you. this next part. Right after Damon in the veil, if you slow down the trailer and watch, there is a person on a horse who gets thrown from the back of the horse. The horse and them go backwards and crushes the person. And that person was Rhea Royce. Rip to Rhea Royce. You're dead in the trailer already. I can't believe we see it in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And no confirmation that Damon did it, so take that off your list, haters. I guess, yeah, I'm starting to think, like, I think we're going to find out that he didn't. Yeah. And finally, Alicent gets yelled at by her dad, possibly also yelled at in the rain by him or Viserys, so maybe something to what you were saying, her and Viserys having yeah. some troubles. Uh, and I will point out the one big positive in the entire trailer was Maylee's and Vagar. And it is Maylee's because it doesn't have that weird fin that Caraxes has. Mm-hmm. Nice and red and amazing, the Red Queen and Vagar. We've seen Vagar already a little bit, and the shots here look like Vagar. It does not look like sea smoke. So we're going to get Lena, and we're going to get Rainies on their dragons. I'm pretty sure, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's them. I'm pretty sure it's Vagar. I mean, like, the colors just don't seem... The chest looks like Vagar, too. It it looks like Vagar. So very excited. Very excited to finally get the other Valerian dragons. And uh. I mean, listen, that's kind of the fun part of the show like obviously we're here for the drama here for all the drama yep but especially here for that drama absolutely the dragon drama absolutely the dancing i mean there's gonna be dancing i think next episode and drama and drama a wedding someone's gonna die of fun (laughs) oh my god Okay, well. Thank you so much for listening this week to Girls Gone Canon. We have had a blast with you. Indeed. And of course, uh, you know, if you have any thoughts about anything that we've said, please feel free to send us a tweet or a DM. You can find us at on social media at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. That's C-A-N-O-N. Or you can always send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Feel free to give us a like and subscribe, depending on what platform yes. you're listening to. Leave a review. Eliana loves those. They're fun. We got a couple fun ones recently embracing the spoilery nature of the podcast, which I love. You can check us out on those platforms near you, your favorite, like Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, Pandora, you name it. We might be on Audible. We are on Audible. Mm. Yeah. I saw we got a a rating on it recently. I was like, Mm. oh, we're on Audible. Yeah, we are Audible. And Amazon, too. Amazon has podcasts, I guess, now. So we're there, too. Word, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are also always on Patreon. You can find us on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where... Where patrons in the Stranger Tier and above get access to bonus episodes if this was not enough for you. Yeah, and of course, patrons in the Thunder Tier and above have lifetime access to our Discord server, our private server, and also access to weekly discussion events like our House of the Dragon discussions on Fridays at 2 p.m. ET, as well as a monthly brunch slash happy hour event and other shenanigans. Lots of places in there to have shenanigans. And so, uh, again, speaking of weekly things on Fridays, please feel free to hit like and subscribe if you like this podcast, where we do have our usual uh, POV read-through coming out this Friday. Yeah, brand three and Aga, baby. I have been one of your hosts, Eliana. And I 
have been another one-year host, Chloe. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I was I was like, she's waiting for something for me, and oh. I don't know what it is. Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you next week for Hot D5. Woo! 1E5. Woo! Goodbye. Goodbye.